Welcome to the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast, helping Western New York entrepreneurs take the next step in their business. If you love Western New York and entrepreneurship, this is the podcast for you. Whether you have been in business for 20 years or 20 minutes, there is something for everyone. David Schaub interviews the top entrepreneurs in Western New York so you can take your next step in your own business. Hey, welcome to today's podcast. Welcome to Western New York Entrepreneur, where we help entrepreneurs take the next step in their own business. And we actually have a great guest today uh, that we're interviewing. We have Paul Banas from Banas Mortgage. He's been in the mortgage business for the past 30 years uh, here in Williamsville, New York. So can you say hi, Paul? Good morning, David. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm doing great. And uh, it was really cool that me and Paul hung out for a half hour before our podcast. So uh, we thought we'd just go ahead and get started with it. But that being said, Paul, um, we can do a million things for a living these days. Sure. What kind of got you into your field of expertise and what you do today? Well, actually, started a long time ago when I was a kid. I actually loved real estate. I always, I always loved to see new houses, loved real estate. And I decided that when I got older, I was actually going to look for some kind of a job in the real estate field. I didn't want to be a real estate salesperson, but I wanted to do the financing. So pri- previous to being in uh, this business, I actually worked for Dun & Bradstreet, and I had my own collection agency for several years. But in the early 80s, I decided that I wanted to get into the mortgage business. So there were several mortgage companies that started in the early 80s, but that wasn't really a good fit. Then in 1985, Spectrum Home Mortgage opened up, and I knew one of the principals there. So I went and talked to him, and I became one of their first employees. And then that's taken me to where I've been for the last, you know, 34 years now. So I worked for Spectrum Mortgage from 85 to 89. And I started my own company September 1, 1989. And in that time, we've done about $1.3 billion in mortgages for about 10,480 people. So it's basically just showing up every day and giving people a great deal. We always tend to have a little bit better deal than the competition. If you're only asking, how's that? Well, based on the relationships with the banks and what you're willing to charge, so we are on the low end of what we charge for our loans. So we're always more competitive, especially when it comes time to lock in a rate. We tend to be always a little bit better than the competition. We do work for a little less fee, but we work with large national banks and local banks. Yeah. So when prior to talking to this podcast, we talked about real estate investing. So you know, when did you actually get into that and, and why? Okay. Well, very interesting. Back in 1986, I built my, I built my second new build. I built, with, built a very nice size house, and I had a great deal from the builder. They actually built the house for me at cost, which helped me for many years in a lot of different ways. So I'm still in that house, but I've, I've rehabbed it a number of times. So in 1996, I decided to buy an office building. I'd been in business at that time for about seven years, but decided it was time for my own building. So I, I bought a building on 27 North Long and Williamsville, where I still am. It was in rough shape when I bought it, and we rehabbed it. It's turned out to be a wonderful investment and a great place to work. And uh, so when did it kind of go up from there? So I invested in the stock market in the, in the early 1990s. Uh, I had a client who was invested in Harley-Davidson. And I did a mortgage for him, and he took me to, out for lunch one day, and he said, Paul, whatever you do, I want you to promise me you'll go buy 100 shares of Harley-Davidson. So I did, and 100 shares turned into 1,200 shares. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got. So from 1991, 1992 till 2000, I'm thinking I'm Albert Einstein here in the, in, in the stock market. And then all of a sudden, it all came crashing down in, in the year 2000. So in the year 2000, I lost almost all I had in the stock market, decided I better look at a different venue for investing. So I bought my first apartment. I bought a duplex in Williamsville for $70,000 in, in 2001. So I've owned that property now for 18 years. 
with an $18,000 investment, I've reaped $260,000 in, in rents, and it's worth about 200000 today, and it's been paid for for quite a while. Yeah, so uh, which I thought was fascinating when we were talking about that before this podcast. So, um, for, so for those that, obviously, the listeners, because they didn't hear a conversation before this, what advice would you give to people that are interested in real estate investing? And yeah, I'll just go with that question first. What, what, what advice would you give them? Well, I think the first thing you do if you want to invest in real estate is just buy a nice house to live in. That's your very first step. Just buy as nice a house as you can reasonably afford. The better property you buy, the better the appreciation. And you can buy a house with as little as 3.5% down. And that 3.5% can actually be a gift from your parents if you need to be. The earlier you buy your house, the more upside potential you have because you're going to own it for a long period of time. So I, my advice is to always buy the nicest piece of property you can and just ride with the wake as it goes up. Now, when I bought my, my first house back in 1978, nobody was advising me on what to do. When I was a green pea, did not know what I was doing. Now, in 1978, a 1,500-square-foot house was 59.9, a 2,400-square-foot house was 74.9, and a 3,000-square-foot house was $90,000. Me being a little naive, I bought the least expensive house for 1,500 square feet. And if anybody had advised me, I would have at least spent another $15,000 and bought a 2,400 square foot house. So I take a lot of people under advisement. Many of my clients today are children of my first clients that I did back 25, 30 years ago. That's so cool. So now talking the entrepreneurial side of things, what mistakes have you seen entrepreneurs make? or just one or two that you just see repeating over and over again, just being in the business world yourself and working with so many different types of clients, obviously working with their homes and, and everything they're doing. Well, I have a client that actually became a mentor of mine many years ago. I met him back in 1988, actually 1987. And this particular guy, when I met him, he had three and a half thousand apartments. Now he's up to 12,000. But he started off when he was a stockbroker at, at age 23, buying his first 16 unit apartment building. I met him in you know, 88, and he is up to 3,000, now he's up to 12,000. And one of the golden rules he taught me was the, um, well, number one, he explained appreciation to me, which is very critical when you're buying property. And the other thing is, is just uh, knowing how to manage your property. Many people will pay a premium dollar to live in a premium place. That's where you want to be. Premium clients pay the rent on time. You know? and, and today, you know, when, you, when you take depreciation into effect, the man never pays any taxes you know, because the depreciation exceeds you know, what the, what the income is. Mm -hmm. The income's good, but the depreciation is large too. So for those that don't know what, uh, you know, appreciation is, uh, can, you, can you explain? So when you buy a property, let's just say for a number, you buy a property for $200,000, okay? And you're not going to live there. It's investor property. You can depreciate it. You, can, you take 127th of the price of the property, and that's an actual credit you get every year for owning the property. So if your taxes, I, I gave Dave an example. In my case, I have $5,000 taxes on a $200,000 purchase I made, but I get a $7,400 credit every year for, for the uh, depreciation. That actually negates the taxes I pay and gives me a credit on top of that. That's one of the biggest things people buy real estate for is depreciation. Yeah, so, for, so in this case, it's over the taxes, right? Correct. So what, what, what is that credit? What can that go towards? Look, it goes towards your, your taxes. It just reduces your tax liability. Okay. Right off, right off the bottom line, reduces your tax liability. So the more property you own, the more depreciation you get, the less you pay in taxes. Yeah. Not always how much money you make, it's how much you keep. You know, you could be making a million dollars a year and be in a 40% tax bracket, 45% tax bracket, and you're giving halfway to Uncle Sam. Mm -hmm. But if you own a lot of property, you're going to be able to keep a big chunk of that money. No, that's so good. And so it's always good to know those, I guess you call them loophole, loophole, uh, loopholes, if you will. 
But that being said, going back to the mortgage business for a second, yes. if you don't mind, um, obviously we've talked about how you, you've gotten ahead of the competition and whatnot, but I do want to get to the nitty gritty stuff if you don't mind sure. me asking, Paul. Nitty gritty is fine. Um, so what, what are one or two of some of the bigger mistakes that you wish you didn't make? Obviously being in business for 30 years, someone's going to make a mistake. But what do you think was the biggest one that you wish that maybe you didn't make or one that you, know, that you really learned from? Well, you know, it, it, it typically is better the more units you buy, the better. So an eight units better than a four unit, a 12 units better than an eight unit. But I bought a five unit one time that had a very interesting history to it. It was uh, owned by a, a multimillionaire and it was eight stables converted to luxury apartments. Stables were built in the 1920s. Was that like horse stables? Like horse stables. Okay. So I bought them and I, I owned them for about three years. But every time I turned around, there was a heavy maintenance issue. Roof, windows, furnaces, all that. And it was just a little bit too much. So I sold it for a profit and was happy to get out of it. So when you're a small investor, you can't afford big projects when you don't have a lot of money. So you build up to, to it, which is why I was telling David I do 15-year mortgages all the time. So I get a quick equity buildup in the property. Mm, that's so smart. So for those that are looking to get into, um, in fact, I'll ask you, uh, uh, you know, have the question that you want to answer it. So I want to ask, what, what advice do you have for people that are buying you know, their first home or the first uh, commercial property? Maybe they're sick of leasing, they want to buy the first commercial property. In fact, let me just go there if you don't mind. If for people that are buying the first commercial property, what advice do you have? I know it's general, there's a million different types of businesses out there, but any advice in general that you can give to business owners seeking commercial property, whether it's the store stuff or maybe it's a storefront, anything like that? you're probably better off buying apartments because people will always rent apartments if they're at the right price and they're, and they're in good shape. Commercial property can be different. You have to find that unique tenant for that property. So if you buy a property and there's a long-term lease on it from an A, a credit you know, person like a you know, Bed Bath & Beyond or someone like that, you know, the property's worth a lot more because the lease is worth more. But the more marginal property you get, the less value the property has and the higher the risk. So for those buying property for themselves, for their own business, yep. what do you have for them? That's a great idea. Well, I bought this building here in Williamsville in 1996 for my own business. Mm -hmm. And we've rehabbed it. And at one point, we had 11 people here. We're down to like six people now these days. But you know, when this place was fully occupied, we were doing you know, a lot of business, and we were using all the space. Mm -hmm. Now we have a little excess space. You know, it, rates have been low for a long time. And rates just continually stay low. I remember a, a vice president of a big construction company in Buffalo telling me, we look at anything, back in 1999, he said, anything that we can get under 8% we think is gold. Well, with a, a $2 billion portfolio now, their average interest rate is probably 4%. So rates are just low. So it's a wonderful time if you can find real estate to buy, to buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Any other uh, hidden tricks we should know at all? You need a down payment, you know, so it's all accessing cash. So if you buy a house and you put a minimum down, it'll be a long time before you have any equity in it. But if you do a 15-year mortgage, your equity buildup will be quicker, and then you can have a, um, you know, a source of funds to draw from. Here, here's an example of a, of a young couple that I worked with starting about eight years ago. So this young couple both have good jobs, no children. He came up to me and he said, Mr. Bannis, I really want to invest in real estate. I want you to tell me exactly what to do. Okay, Scotty, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go to North Buffalo, and I want you to buy a three-unit building. Two months later, he comes, I got a three-unit building. I said, okay, we'll do a mortgage on that. Now what I want you to do is I want you to rehab the building so it's beautiful condition. He did that a year later. Now he said, what's next? I said, the house came available directly next door, another three-unit. So I said, I want to get you a home equity, 
and we're going to buy the new house next door with the home equity. So we got a home equity for $51,000, which is which was what he had equity in his house after three years. And, and it cost him $50,250 to buy the house next door. Now he's got five units. Now he's up to about 10 units, but he's got 10 people that go to work every day that pay him rent. And the mortgage payments aren't high. And he does 15 years, so they're all getting a lot of equity in the properties. So now he's, he's got a great job, his wife's got a great job, and they're going to Greece next month. And what's cool is it's passive, so it's coming, or residual, whatever you want to call it. Passive income. Yeah. Everybody wants different sources of income and passive income. I refer to some of my tenants as reverse employees. They go to work and pay me. So the nicer the property, the better the rent. You know, properties that I bought, you know, 18 years ago, that I was getting $600 a month rent. I'm now getting $1,200, $1,300 a month rent. But it's also a great hedge against inflation. Yeah. Hey, really quick. If you love what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to this podcast. Leave a review and rate it. It takes 10 seconds, but it means so much to me. Let others know about it. If you know a Western New York entrepreneur who is killing it right now and should be interviewed, please introduce them to me. Again, I want to keep this thing going, so please leave a review and share it on your social media platform of your choice so others know about this. I'm sure you get certain types of questions being in the business that you are. And I'm sure some questions might be like, oh, I don't want to be asked that question. What is like one question that you wish people wouldn't ask you? And then why? And then what's one question you wish they would ask you? Well, here, here, here's a question somebody asked me when I bought my first property in 2001. They said, you know what, Paul? I'm not going to be the one that's going to unplug a toilet from a female tenant on a Friday night. <laughs> so you know what I did at that time? I symbolically bought a plunger and I put it in my, in my bathroom here at the office. Nine years later, 2010, I got the first and only call I've ever had to unplug a toilet on a night for a female, female tenant. So I got my plunger, I went over there, and I started to plunge it, and the rubber was so brittle it completely fell apart <laughs> because it was sitting there for nine years. Okay. I do have people, I have a plumber, I have an electrician, I have a landscaper. So I hire all these different people to take care of my properties, and they're showpiece properties. If you drive down a street and you look at the property that I own, it looks like it's owner-occupied, not an absentee owner. That, that's so key. So what is one uh, question people would, at, you wish, would, would, would ask you? Well, I think one question people ask is, um, what's my rate of return going to be? We discuss that. Also, what type of property should I buy? What area should I go into? And the better the area, the better the rents. I mean, right now, the Elmwood District in North Buffalo is just hot. It's on fire. It's been on fire for the last four or five years. And people just keep on buying, keep on buying. And people are buying doubles for three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars that are a hundred years old. Hundred year old houses need maintenance. Mm -hmm. They need work. So it all depends on what you want to do. Yeah, and, and what your cup of tea is. Um, so we talked about this before the podcast, and uh, I, you know, forgive me if we talked a little about this here. But that being said, I, I always wondered, you know, again, me not knowing anything about real estate investing. So how do I figure if I did buy, uh, you know, a, a property to to rent out? How would I determine the monthly rent to charge people? Well, you, you simply, f a, a realtor can tell you what the market rents are in the area. Mm -hmm. You look at the size of the unit, the amenities, and the location. For example, Chitawaga is not going to get as good a rent as, as Williamsville. Mm -hmm. Williamsville is not going to get as good a rent as the Elmwood Village or North Buffalo. There, there's a huge influx of people wanting to live in this city now. The city of Buffalo is really, really doing well right now. And I don't see anything slowing it down for a long time. 
Yeah, so for those that, you know, whenever you're starting a business or whatever you're doing, in this case, buying real estate or buying a home, there's always risk involved, right? There's always risk involved. So for people that are afraid to take risk or they're like, well, I like to play things safe, like, do you have anything to say to those, to those individuals? Well, you know what? Uh, I have a savings account right now and I get 2% interest. On my investment properties, I probably get an average of 30 or 40% return every year on my dollar. I like 30%. 2% kind of bores me. Yeah. It's where I park money until I'm going to put it to use. So I like to be fully invested in my properties. You know, and, and also, if you need to access capital, if you have properties worth a lot of money, you can always refinance them or put a line of credit on them and take the money out to buy or rehab more property. So obviously in 2000, you said a lot of the things that you were doing before, which is like investing in the stock market, right. then you lost it all. So what got you through those hard times? Like what made you not just like kind of curl up into the fetal position into your office? Like what really made you Well, I just forward? about curled up into a fetal position in, in the year 2000. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the year, actually, actually from June of 1999 to, uh, to January 1st, 2001, was just a really bad period for us. Mm -hmm. It was a bad period for mortgages, and it was a horrible period for the stock market. So I took a double whammy. So fortunately, I had enough money in reserve that I could weather the storm. Mm -hmm. A lot of my competitors did not weather the storm. They, they aren't here anymore. Yeah. Especially the, the, the crash in 2008. So one of my favorite expressions I use all the time is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Well, from 2001 to 2007, it was just pouring mortgages all over the country. Rates were low. It was just a huge time. So we, everybody in my business made a lot of money in those years. But no one could have ever predicted the crash that happened in 2008. As a matter of fact, there's a great book to read if you want to read about that called The Big Short. It's about John Paulson when he shorted the housing market. But things were really, really bad in 2008. And if it wasn't for Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon, we could have faced the same recession we had in 1929. That's how bad things actually were. So we, we limbed through it, but banks looked at us like pariahs, and, and we, we had a very, very difficult time for a year and a half. So basically, I tell people I went from the penthouse to the outhouse in about, <laughs> in a, in about a year and a half. But then an incident happened on January 4th, 2001. Very interesting. I had a couple from Orchard Park, sort of very successful school teachers, been teaching a long time. They were desperate to buy a house in the city. So they found a house they liked. It wasn't priced high, it was about $189,000, but it was a stone house with leaded glass windows. And they said, we'll just gut this thing and rehab it. So the house is at 184.9. So I said, look, let's just be safe, go in at 205. Well, there were nine offers on that property and they were third place. On that transaction, I knew, oh boy, this is gonna be a frenzy. And then we just went off to the races. So from January of 2001, to uh, probably the end, of, the end of 2007, I think we did about $350 million in business here. Probably closer to $400 million. Those are great times. But fortunately, that's when I started buying my real estate. So when the, when, the, when the crash hit in 2008, I already had rental income coming in to subsidize me for the business climate that we were in. And it's so good. I, I, you know, as you know, we mentioned before, I'm such a big believer in multiple different streams of income in doing Absolutely. so. But anyways, who were some of the biggest influencers in your life as an entrepreneur? Well, this fellow that I met out in Orchard Park, Bill, who owns all the apartments, he was, he was a big influence. And of course, I knew the Peterson Empire. I knew, I, I'd known quite a bit about the Petersons for a long time. One of my friends I grew up with was, worked over there. But real estate's a very, very simple thing. 
it appreciates in value, it gives you income, and it gives you depreciation. So your, your income and depreciation are two forms of income from the same property. So you just can't beat it. I mean, r- real estate is, is an amazing investment. But like I was telling Dave, it's an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. Once you acquire the taste, it can become highly addictive. But in my particular case, I grow vertically, whereas my properties are a lot nicer than the neighbors that I would that I would be next to. That's good. I, I agree with the acquired taste. It's kind of like you have to... You have to experience it. Yeah, you have to experience it. So how, so how do you uh, stop getting it so addicting or, or it runs you versus you running it? Well, you have to manage your properties and you have to have great great tenants. Got to know when to fire a tenant. You know, I had to, I had to evict a tenant recently. Uh, just because I didn't like the way they were living in my place. And then I'll, I'll improve that property and I'll get a better tenant. So I always think my next tenant's going to be a better tenant, but I actually have a lot of long-term tenants that have been with, been with me for a long time. Another thing, I tend to not raise the rents very often. I rarely raise the rent. So What's, what's rarely, if you don't mean You know, really, uh, I, I have people right now that have been there for five years, have not raised the rent once. Another guy in a premium building, I, I raised the rent $100 in seven years. Okay. You know, and that's, pretty, that's pretty rare. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm not looking to grab every penny. I'm looking to have continuity and no hassle. What, you know, for, let's say someone's buying their first rental property. Would mm-hmm. you recommend right away like getting a landscaper or like a, like a maintenance person of that sort? Or would you just recommend doing it yourself? Or how would you? Because well, I know I, some people like to fixate the price already involving that would cost to have someone like that. So what are your opinions on that? Well, I happen to I happen to like to hire people to do all that work. So I have a landscaper that does all my landscaping. I have all different people that do different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you have to because you have so many properties. Right. But for someone that's starting just to do one, they can do it themselves. They can go in there and put put down you know, put down the beds for the for the flower gardens. You know, get a painter in there, paint, make sure the furnace is up to speed. You don't want to get a call in the wintertime that there's no heat. You might want to have an annual maintenance contract for the furnace or the air conditioning where they come once a year and just, just check on that. And whenever you're buying a house, you should always have the, have the home inspector do a good inspection and check, and check the roof. You know, it snows in Buffalo. It rains in Buffalo. So roofs are very critical. So I bought a, I bought a five-unit building one time, and the roof looked, looked beautiful. But, you know, it was put on by a bunch of kids. They didn't know where to put the nails, and all the tiles kept flying off. You know, so it wasn't, it wasn't professionally done. Oh, man. So roofs, are, roofs can be a big expense, but very important in Buffalo. Yeah. So again, I really appreciate because I was actually really looking forward to this, uh, to this uh, you know, this interview, is because I've been actually been looking to learn into it anyways or, or learn about it. But that being said, we only have a few minutes left. Sure. So is there something that you want to talk about? Well, I think just generically investing in in real estate, especially in Buffalo right now, there are so many amazing things happening in Buffalo. Just as an example, the uh, main Seneca building, nobody in Buffalo would take that building. You know, the Bendersons, Montani, nobody wanted to own this building. They wouldn't take it. So you get a guy from Washington, Jamal, to come in and buy the building, and he's pouring tons of money into the building, and he's rehabbing the building. We've got a guy that's going to build a big hotel on the waterfront. You know, the guy from the accident strike, Jerry Bukite. There's so much investment going in the city. Anybody that's a tradesman right now that does anything relating to real estate should be busy. And the appreciation is there too. So, so that being said, that sparks my interest in this question. So for those that are tradespeople, whether it's you know, home inspectors, you know, painting, construction, remodeling, whatever you want to call it, what would you suggest for them to get 
you know, clients for, let's say someone listens to this podcast, like I'm a tradesperson, I'm not busy. What am I missing out on? What am I doing wrong? What it, would you it's, say? It's impossible for a good tradesperson to not be busy. Okay. I mean, right now there's just so much work going on mm-hmm. in all areas, commercial, residential, new construction, new apartment complexes going up, rehab of old buildings into mixed use properties. There's just a bounty full of work out there. Yeah. So for, so it makes sense for businesses that have been around for a while now. But so let's say someone's just starting their, you know, I'm a good tradesperson, right? I'm not saying me, but let's say if I was and I want to get my name out there, what would you suggest since there's so much? Like, would you, what would you suggest contacting? How would you suggest getting work? You can put an ad in the paper. You can contact the architects, you know, the, the home planners, uh, the realtors. I mean, there's just people that are looking to do everything. I, I had a roofer in here yesterday and he showed me a job that he did. It was uh, $165,000 for one house out in Clarence. Oh, wow. It's a huge roof. It's a 13,000 square foot house. Just amazing. Was it slate roofing? It, it was not slate. It was architecture roofing, but it wasn't slate. Okay. It was an old cedar shake shingle, and they, and they replaced it with just a regular, regular roofing. Yeah. That's so cool. So I really appreciate your time, by the way. Yeah. I, I know you're very, very busy. And uh, as you can probably tell from the coughing, he's just coming down from one of his, quote unquote, worst uh, colds ever. So him... Uh, sacrificing his time to, to do while he's getting over that. We really do appreciate it. And uh, again, just thanks for being with us, Paul. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. If anybody has any questions about real estate, our office is located in Williamsville, 27 North Long in Williamsville. We've been here since 1996. Our number is 633-5888. So if you have any real estate questions at all, anything about financing, we do it all. Thanks, Dave, and have a great day. Appreciate meeting with you today. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Bye. If you loved listening to the Western New York Entrepreneurs Podcast and want more, subscribe to it and head on over to WNYEntrepreneur.com for articles, what's coming up next, and to get involved. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.